Well, there has been so much volatility this week, particularly in bond markets. Things have been calmer the last day or so, but will it last? Everyone is hanging out for the non-farm payroll numbers tonight. But what do we want to see? What will keep markets calm going into the weekend? Plus, more weakness in Europe, but that seems to be the pattern everywhere. And what is the oil price telling us right now? It's Friday, the 6th of October, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Incidentally, before we look at what's happened overnight, let's look at what's happening later today with the weekend edition of the Morning Call Out and Shiano Yu from Capital Economics in Singapore painting a fairly optimistic picture of the outlook for China. The piecemeal stimulus, she reckons, those measures are working. They are coming through very slowly and bits and pieces, but when you add them all together, they are pretty significant and Yes, they are not loosening it the whole way, the way they've done in previous downturns. Um, but there is there is quite enough at the moment for us to think that you know um, things will start looking up. But to what extent? Well, you'll have to listen in this afternoon to hear Hairview. Incidentally, it is Hairview and that of Capital Economics. I suspect the NAB crowd are a little less optimistic on China. Hey, meanwhile, today, uh, small moves down in bond yields, just two basis points off 10-year treasuries, down to 4.71%. Four off yields for 10-year gilts and German bunds. Australian 10 years on futures are now at 4.59%, nine basis points lower than this time yesterday. Uh, Stocks not really pushing ahead, not in the US anyway, and not really down much either. The Dow is only just in the red, just 0.1% off the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ at at close. Uh, The Russell 2000 is in the green, but only 0.1% up. Apple is doing okay, though. It's up 0.7%. NVIDIA up 1.5%, as though they are operating in an alternate universe. Uh, In Europe, the Euro stocks 50 and the CAC 40 closed flat. The DAX was down 0.2%. The FTSE 100 was up half a percent. We'll look at why in just a moment. The US dollar is down again, down 0.4% on the DXY. The Aussie is doing okay. It's up three quarters of 1% to 63.7 US cents. The pound is up half a percent. So is the yen, 0.4% for the euro. And oil is falling lower, 2% off WTI, 1.8% off Brent. Brent almost down to 84 a barrel now. And here was us Chalking it up to 100. So uh, the second half of the week is looking very different to the first half. That could all change, of course, with non-farm payrolls. Uh, don't be away from your desk when those numbers come out, which is, well, you probably won't be at your desk because it's half 10 tonight, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, but it should be interesting. N- and Nabs Ken Crompton joins me in Sydney uh, this morning. So yields down a little today. We could say it's all the anticipation uh, of, uh, of of the job numbers tonight, but I think it might also be what uh, Mary Daly's been saying from from the Fed in the last few hours. Yeah, good morning, Phil. There's a couple of um, interesting bits and pieces in that speech from Daly. I think one of the interesting things there was that maybe a little bit of pushback uh, against the rise in, in long-end bond yields over the past month or so, where she said that, um, you know, as well as sort of general comments saying that, um, yeah, the, the f- that the Fed from here needs to be needs to be agile. Um, she also noted that the rise in long-end yields has probably done the work of about one rate hike for them. So, to that extent, you know, maybe offering the view that um, yeah, the, that with financial conditions having tightened so much, and of course in the US, financial conditions being driven by long-end yields much more so than Australia, and also equity prices have a strong input into financial conditions there as well. Both of those are obviously moving in condition, moving in directions that point towards much tighter financial conditions over the past month. And Mary Daly's implication there being that, well, look, maybe that does a bit of the work 
for us in terms of what we might need to do from here. Because it impacts mortgage rates and all the other loans, so it's going to slow down the economy. That's what she's saying then. That's that's why it's doing their work. But isn't it, isn't it a bit of a chicken and egg situation? I mean, aren't yields getting higher because they think that the Fed will either go higher or they're going to go higher for longer, which is why we're seeing yields pushing up. So it's great. who's driving here? Is it the Fed or is it the market? Well, I think that's the question that really does need is going to need to be answered over the course of the next um, of the next month or few months of data. That's if you decompose the move in yields um, down into the sort of the inflation expectations component and the real yield component, it has been almost entirely real yields across nearly all the developed markets, which is very unusual for such a big for such a big increase in yields. So, yeah, the simplistic analysis of that does point to that being the expectation is, you know, tighter policy for longer, which I think is is, is quite valid. But for um, you know, for sort of a, you know, a a good stretch of US data right at the peak of um, at, at the end of a rapid tightening cycle to be extrapolated into such big big moves in longer end yields, you just sort of wonder, you know, to what extent is is that real yield increase actually sustainable? And I guess that that's the question that still needs to be needs to be answered. Well, yeah, and uh, and what breaks, which obviously is the the big question, isn't it? Because uh, thirty years. Now at four point eight eight percent, so one hundred and six points higher than they were at the start of June. So, and we've been seeing this bear steepening in mean, the longer end, rising faster. You know, a lot of people would say, "Well, it's a sign of a of a recession." I mean, these are unusual talk at times, aren't they? But forget all that talk of of soft landing. I mean, if it's that high, if it's higher for longer, people are going to struggle. You are going to see uh, the economy facing a downturn. So maybe this recession talk is right after all. Yeah, and you know, the the interpretation of the yield curve as a recession signal. Yeah, typically you talk about. The initial inversion of the curve being the long run signal, and then the a rapid steepening being the signal that the recession is imminent. But that's certainly the case when there's a big bull steepening, which is when the market is pricing sudden and imminent rate cuts. But in this case, yeah, with a with it being a a bear steepening, that interpretation is much less clear. In fact, I and it does seem to be. Um, you know, expectations of, of of longer run growth prospects just being seen as more solid. I mean, if you compare Treasury yield, like long run Treasury yields, to the policy rate, you know, you've got the Fed ta- Fed um, overnight rate is about five point three at the moment. Treasuries are still fifty points below that, if if not a little bit more at the moment. Um, you know, compare that to Australia, for example, where you've got our ten year bond yield trading about fifty points above the policy rate. Then you just sort of think that. Um, yeah, you, you've got a sort of question. Yeah, we've been talking a lot this year about yeah, how how long can you sustain an inverted curve if there is not an imminent recession, and yeah. that's the question that's being resolved at the moment via a massive bear steepening, and maybe one that's potentially a little bit overdone, rather than a massive bull flattening, which would indicate that um, yeah, the, that the market indicates thinks the crash is near. Well, let's hope it's not in that case. Uh, let's instead focus on jobs because that obviously is very much the the story for the rest of the day today. We had the ADP numbers that we talked about yesterday morning, which gave us fewer jobs than expected, if we believe it. Uh, the weekly jobless claims numbers: two hundred seven thousand new claims from two hundred five thousand last time so uh, yeah fewer people working supposedly but the continuing claims down by a thousand no big deal in other words no news here but uh, i guess you know markets are hanging out for any bit of data at the moment aren't they which is uh, which is to do with jobs yeah essentially an inline number there for jobless claims this week and, and reading through some of the analysis around some other 
indicators, you know, such as um, the yeah, in the US there's the the warn notices which are given of big um, big big layoffs and factory closures and those sort of things. You know, there was a there was a sharp drop in those during August. That's rebounded during September. So um, part of the thinking is that um, that as those notices actually you know, come into action over the next few months, that may point to an increase in um, in jobless claims potentially and feeding through into the broader labour market. But certainly, you know, for tonight, um, in terms of non-farm payrolls, you know, we're still sitting. Um, I think the consensus is still sitting around one seventy k, I believe. And yeah, it's it's. Average hourly earnings numbers, expectations there are, are sitting a little bit high, bouncing up from 0.2 to 0.3. But once again, that's still not a not a number that's probably in an outright sense likely to be too concerning. So, right. so if we see those, is that a market's going to stay as calm? Because we've had this before, haven't we? Where there's you know numbers have come in as expected, and yet markets still you know react quite sharply to it. But I mean, if it, I mean, is that what we're looking for? For you know. To go into a calm week next week, or or what could th- throw the cat amongst the pigeons? I guess if we saw that, I mean, the key number probably is if we see that wage number go up too much. Yeah, that's obviously the the sort of more longer run number that's going to be of concern to the Fed. I mean, if you can have that Goldilocks scenario of um, yeah, unemployment not um, not not moving up too much, yet you yet you manage to have average hourly earnings manage to, to stabilise and inflation obviously continue to keep cooling, then obviously that's a great outcome. You're not going to know that from one number tonight. I mean, the potential short-run reaction tonight, I would argue, given the scope, given the size and pace of the sell-off over the course of the past month, yeah, unless the number is extremely, um, is, ex- is sort of an extreme stronger than expected, it's probably almost likely you're going you're to be unchanged or see a small fall in bond yields out of it, I would strongly, I would strongly suspect. But... Um, yeah, but are we going to go back to where we were? You know, for example, even at the beginning of September, I, I, I doubt it. I think bond yields are going to be trading in roughly these ranges for yeah for, for a bit of time yet until you see some of the um, US activity data actually soften a bit more. Well, the expectation is clearly that things are going to soften, aren't they? If we look at oil prices again down today, the last couple of days uh, quite sizable falls, which would suggest that people are expecting there's going to be a softening of demand. Yeah, and certainly that's the expectation that nearly all the um, that nearly all the central banks are counting on, um, especially the the Fed, who you know we were talking about the Mary Daly speech, and I mean you know she had some some comments in there pointing out about how restrictive policy is, where sort of a real the real Fed real Fed funds rate was sort of estimated somewhere between you know two and, and nearly three percent, yeah, whereas the um, they estimate neutral is at something like 0.5. So they see themselves as being incredibly, as, as, as being quite restrictive. So that um, obviously biases their forecasters, biases their forecast towards a softening. And nearly every central bank is relying on that. And I guess what we're, and markets have actually you know, bought that story for nearly all the way through the tightening cycle as well, that um, you've seen incredibly inverted yield curves in a lot of markets from very early on in the tightening cycle, you know, Australia being an exception. Um, and you've seen longer-run inflation expectations remain incredibly controlled through the entire cycle. So the market has put a fair bit of credibility in um, in, in the fact that, that the policy is going to bite, and I guess it's starting to get challenged a little bit at the moment, given that you're not seeing 
um, sort of hyper-reactive rhetoric from central banks is you do get the odd strong data point anymore, which I think is reasonable. They're, you know, mm. they're relying on the lags to come through, and yeah. I guess we'll need to see. Well, those strong data points are getting few and far between, aren't they? So if we look at the trade numbers uh, from yesterday, for example, if we look at imports and say imports are a measure of how much domestic demand there is, how much consumption is going on, Australia 0.4% down month on month, and we saw healthy exports, which is why we saw the 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 trade gap widens, the trade surplus widens, so that's good for GDP, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the underlying story is that there's less demand for imports. Uh, the US doing the same imports down, exports up, so that's reduced their deficit a little, but again, imports down. And Germany, uh, well, absolutely no doubt at all about the direction their economy is taking, because their imports down 0.4%, their exports down 1.2%. Yeah, I think the yeah you're right. The import numbers across all those um, trade balance data's out. Trade balance data that was out over the past 24 hours or so certainly points to softening domestic demand everywhere. Um, you know, I mean, Australia sort of came out with a big bounce in the um, in the headline trade balance, mostly on gold, non-monetary gold exports. That's a very volatile component that, that bounces around. Um, you know, more broadly, our Trade balance is is well off its peaks of last year, but that's just simply an energy price thing for the most part. With uh, with the value of coal exports coming off, so certainly the more important detail there to watch here probably is those um, probably is those import numbers for for a measure on on consumption. And I mean the other thing interesting too there though, yeah, we have been sort of highlighting you know, some risk of um, of slowing of goods price disinflation. Given that, um, particularly in Australia, you know the RBA is sort of relying on on that to continue in order to ease some of the persistent services inflation. Um, you know, freight freight costs are obviously a, a, an important part of goods of goods disinflation, and interestingly, we saw that continue to ease in those trade balance numbers yesterday. So once again, a short run data print, but yeah, maybe easing some of the risks, and then particularly if you loop that back into. As you said at the beginning, the fact that oil is now, you know, sort of moving from mid to high nineties rapidly back down into the mid mid eighties, um, yeah, there's mm. another sort of potential pressure point on some of the goods price, goods goods inflation you know, easing as well. Mind you, oil also feeds into services. But that, yeah, but we we you know expect prices to come down as demand falls. That's the way it's supposed to work, and that's what central banks are trying to achieve. And maybe the Bank of England uh, is doing better than most at that. Or suddenly, all of a sudden, because uh, the FTSE 100 uh, is uh, is one of the few indices actually on the rise today. Which which we could, could perhaps put down to weaker data because construction PMIs fell from 50.8 to 45, uh, which is well below expectations. New car sales, well, uh, 24.4 down to 21% year on year. That's a fall in a month. It's still quite high, but, you know, it is data that's getting weaker. And on top of all that, we had Ben Broadbent from the Bank of England saying there are clear signs that higher rates are creating a drag on the economy and causing unemployment to pick up. So on the basis of that, we saw front-end yields down six basis points so maybe less chance of a hike by the bank of england in november still a possibility but uh, perhaps it's weakening a bit yeah and he was amongst those i believe who voted to um you know, to, to stay unchanged mm. at the last meeting so that's sort of i guess his um his sort of previously revealed preference i suppose but no, um, no change on his no change status <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true and i guess that yeah the the UK, of course, has of course been one of the interesting, one of the more interesting economies to watch in terms of you know that that cycle of um, yeah, a sort of very strong return to double digit inflation in mid year. Yeah, and at one point we had the pricing BOE policy rates well through, well through six percent. You know those have moderated dramatically, um, and I guess it's interesting that um, that yeah, the fact that once again it comes back to the point that markets have been incredibly comfortable in putting all this longer run growth strength over the past month or so into longer in yields and leaving 
terminal rate pricing at the front end of the curves relatively untouched, at least get, at least in respect to the volatility over the past year or so. So as you can see there, there's, there's another central banker who, who's banking, banking on the lags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not much higher or where we are, but for longer. Message everywhere around the world, it seems, doesn't it? Yeah, anyway. and, and I think he even um, he even returned to the uh, the Matterhorn versus, uh, versus Table Mountain debate as well. And that's mirroring the comments from Hugh Pill in, in, in Cape Town. Um, and Ben Ball went there, offered the same conclusion that um, that there's no point climbing the Matterhorn if you can, you know, simply stay at the on on the plateau and get to the same point, you know, relatively quickly. And there's and he's still talking about inflation being back at target within two years, which is pretty much on par with where most other central banks seem to be happy to to get to, especially Australia. Right. Okay. When we're all over this, everybody's got to go to Table Mountain to celebrate as we uh, come out the uh, come out the end, haven't we? Uh, good to talk. Uh, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Uh, good to have you back on. See you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. We could uh, lead all the central bankers to the top of the mountain, then turn the cable car off so they have to stay there higher for longer. Wouldn't that be a thing? That's it for today. I am back this afternoon for the weekend edition. Back on Monday morning for the regular weekday edition of the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll catch you very soon. Thanks for listening. 